Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to this special Dream Emmy themed edition of the TV Line podcast. With Emmy voting underway, we're conducting extended interviews with producers and performers we feel deserve to be recognized when nominations are announced on July 13. Included on that list is actress Carrie Coon, a potential double nominee for The Leftovers and Fargo. Carrie, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. So, The Leftovers has been over now for a couple weeks. How are you feeling emotionally? Do you feel like you have closure with the character that you're ready now to move on? My closure really came in September when we finished the show and I was alone on set with Nora saying goodbye. So I felt I had already moved on because I had such a great project coming my way with Fargo. So I, actors always have to move on from projects. We do that all the time. But I've been really surprised and moved by the outpouring of support I've gotten regarding the finale. I've gotten so much positive feedback from people on Twitter and Facebook and in my life, and it's been so gratifying that, by and large, people seem really satisfied with our ending. It's great. It was such a beautiful ending, and it was all about Nora. I mean, it was Kevin and Nora, the love story, but so much of it was about Nora. How does that feel as an actress to have an entire series sort of conclude around you. <laughs> well, it's very, um, it's very flattering. It's, it's a tremendous honor. As you all know, you know, Nora became a bigger and bigger part of the show as it went on. And so to culminate in this episode, is, it's extraordinary for me to be, to be trusted with it. But it's a lot of pressure, too. And when you get handed a script that has this epic monologue in it that sort of wraps up or doesn't the whole show for all of our fans, it's a lot of responsibility and it's a little stressful. But of course, I wouldn't want it any other way. I was in Australia to do that work. And so I would have been sad not to be a part of the ending. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a lonely ending in a way because it was just me and Justin and and a little bit of Amy. But um, I'm just really honored. I'm really honored. Were you happy for Nora that she got a little bit of a happy ending? Yes, I think she's earned it. She had lived a a life of punishment. She had punished herself for a long time. And I don't think any good comes of it. I think we have an inclination to do that. I certainly have in my history. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And coming from the Midwest and coming from um, a Catholic background... I know very well the power of guilt and shame, and I know the frustration of uncertainty in general. I think we all do. And so it was really satisfying to have two people appreciating what was right in front of them. And I think that's a really important lesson for the world we're living in. How much preparation did you do for that monologue? A lot! You can't (laughs) do that monologue if you're thinking about what your lines are. So luckily... Unusually, usually we don't get those scripts very far in advance. Everyone's heard this story from us 12, 24 hours, you know, that yeah. you have to prepare. But thankfully, Damon and the gang got me that script. At least a few weeks, I think, I had to work on it. I don't really remember when I got it. But I just drilled those lines because you, that's the last thing you want to be worrying about on the day you're shooting that, that scene. 
But it's like doing a play. It felt like doing a one-act play. It felt like I was getting ready to do a play. And I was going to go rehearse it and do it 12 times and be done. And, um, and also, you know, part of it is who are you, who's listening are you speaking into? And, of course, it's Justin. Justin, a brave and generous actor that I've been working with for three years. So knowing I was in good hands and that, in fact, listening can be as hard as anything. He was exhausted by staying engaged with me as, as he would be if he'd been acting it himself. So he was so gracious because we actually shot my part of that day first because he, of course, has that big scene right before it where he comes storming out of the car. Mm-hmm. And he had to listen to me do mine. And then he had to come and go outside and do his before we lost the light. And that's, that's a really long day. So I was grateful to him for that. And when you first read the script, what was your interpretation of Nora telling the truth or Nora not telling the truth? Because when I watched it, it never dawned on me that she could be lying. Mm. Now, it wasn't until I talked to Damon and he was like, well, it's open to interpretation. I was like, really? I believed every word she said. <laughs> That's so funny. Everybody's got, everybody has an opinion, but I've been shocked by the majority view of people that I've spoken with. They believe her. We were at a Q&A in L.A., and I'd say 70% of the audience said they believed her. Our crew was split about 50-50 on the day. I recognized immediately that it, it could go either way. And it's very interesting that one of the first lines in that episode is, I don't lie. And, of course, we've seen Nora Durst lie many, many times. So it's a really interesting question. I, of course, had to make a choice. I'm not sure if the monologue would be different had I made the opposite choice of the one that I made, which I will never tell you. So um, I actually think it would be the same either way, yeah. interestingly. Um, I want to talk about the series as a whole. And this is something we spoke about when I saw you a couple months ago mm-hmm. in L.A., how rare it is to be part of a series that runs for such a short amount of time mm-hmm. but has a beginning, middle, and end. You mm-hmm. know, it's a very rare thing in this day and age. Series either get canceled after a season with no closure or go on for 13 years and you're ready to <laughs> get long. off. After, yeah, yeah, too long. Um, you had a situation with The Leftovers where it seems like it, it's an actor's dream. I think it is. I have to say I feel awfully spoiled because... Because of that structure, it's the only TV I've ever done, aside from Fargo, which is a one-year. So I can't imagine signing up to do something for eight years, let alone have it go on and do it for 15. Mm. That, to me, seems like a different kind of job. That seems, not to be pejorative about it, but it feels like an office job. It feels like it becomes this machine that you, you show up and walk in and you do your, you know, your expected thing every single day and that's the opposite of what I'm accustomed to in this business so the notion of signing up and playing somebody more than three years is very anathema to me right now but I have to say when I first met with Damon all those years ago at HBO he always said it was going to be three years or less so we I don't think anybody expected us to go longer than that I just can't believe we we managed to stay on the air and I really credit the critics like you and a lot of other people who got on board very early who wrote extensively about the show. The only reason we're on the air is because there was critical support around our season two, and then season three has just been a love letter, really, to the to the show. And I think all of us were overwhelmed by the level of positive feedback we got for this final season. I feel, being inside of it, I'm probably more critical of the thing than anyone anyone else in a way and I, I started to sort of question myself like wait was there something wrong with me that I'm <laughs> I'm so critical and everybody else seems to be so um, loving and generous with us but yeah it's the perfect deal way? well I just you know I'm always I'm always healthfully skeptical about what we're going to be able to pull off mm. I see it on the page I know the challenge of shooting some of it 
I know the actors are up for it. I know our writers are bold and interesting, but you never know how it's all going to come together. Yeah. And so I see it when you see it. I don't get to see episodes before the audience sees them. So I'm as much in the dark as you before I see it. It's really interesting. Do you worry at all? I mean, this was your first big TV role. Mm-hmm. Are you worried at all? How do I top this experience? Sure. I, I tell Noah and Damon all the time that they've completely spoiled me for television. I've been offered some things subsequently, and they're, they're, it's not that they're bad things. They're really good things. Some of them are really well-written things and very interesting parts for a woman. And yet, my bar is so high. And also, like we were speaking of earlier, the idea of doing something for eight years seems so overwhelming to me. To commit myself to something for that long feels really overwhelming. Mm. So uh, I really am at a loss. I think I need to take a step back because I've been so, it's been such a gift to play these parts. And we're living in a time where I think women get to be pickier about what they say yes to. And that's the, that's the benefit, I have the benefit of some forebears who have made that possible for me. And so, so yeah, I'm going to have to be really picky. Also, meanwhile, when these shows come out, the first thing that happens is I get offered grieving mothers and cops. You know, I'll be offered grieving mothers and cops for at least the next five to seven years. And I'm like, you've already seen me do it. Don't you want to see me do something yeah. else? But this, you know, I've said it before, but Hollywood really has surprisingly little imagination when it comes to casting. Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have expected to hear your name circling around True Detective when they start casting I, well, season three. Well, that's exactly three. what happens. You know, people start to throw your name in the hat. They're like, oh, there, that's a cop. Let's throw her in there. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. It's really like I had all these independent films where you're like, okay, she's lost her child. And you're like, okay, well, you, ha- you lost me. Because <laughs> I don't need to make those faces right now for anyone. Because you want to do something different. I mean, yes, I do. Yeah. Of course I do. You know, it's, I don't want to play the same, same notes over and over again. I want to be challenged. The, one of the great things about being an actor is what it asks of you. It hopefully asks you to engage with ideas you've never thought of, to research time periods or events or um, technology you've never asked yourself about. It asks you to live in different time periods. It's just, it's a real invitation to, you know, continuing adult education. Mm. And I want to keep pushing myself. I don't want to do the same things over and over again. I'm, at least I'm, maybe someday I'll get to that point where I'm like, ah, I'll just do that thing I do, <laughs> get a paycheck. But I'm not there. Yeah. You know, I'm still very early in this TV film career. So, um, And before we get to Fargo, because we'll talk about that too, I want to... Um, um, revisit the finale of The Leftovers and, and I want to give props to the makeup and hair people in that finale because mm. I can tell you that plays a big role in executing a time jump like that because if that if you don't buy that it does, none of it works and You're I just want to say Old right. Nora looked really good thank you they and authentic they did such an extraordinary job they hired the most talented people in Australia I think out from any under, other project that was shooting there and we did those those tests, and it's such a challenge to make that work in HD. And I'm sure the technologies will continue to change. And you know, five years from now, old age makeup we were doing now might look really shocking to us. But it, we're, for where we are right now, I think it was really tasteful and very well done. And you know, a stunning wig and and not a terrible process either. It's actually pretty quick. I mean, we got it down to about an hour getting ready for that those parts, but. Oh, they were just extraordinary and such a great, just a loving, generous crew. Actors are often working away from our homes. We're on the road a lot. And it's interesting. I was thinking how sometimes the only time you actually get touched is in the hair and makeup trailer when you're on the road. And it's actually a very intimate space. And so I spent a lot of time with, with that that crew. And I'm, I just love them. And they, they took such good care of me. And yeah, I think it's really, I've gotten a lot of 
mostly I think I think the feedback has been mostly positive on the way that that looks it's so hard to pull off but also the audience is willing to accept the conceit as they're as they're moving through the story with us too audiences are actually very forgiving when it comes to storytelling mm -hmm. was it an emotional experience for you shooting that finale or were you just too like focused on this is the work that I have to do I'm not even paying attention to the fact that it's almost over mm. well it's it what's nice about good writing is that oftentimes it dovetails with what's happening in your life it feels authentic so for example the scene I always um, talk about when it comes to this issue is Chris Eccleston, right? I had that final scene with my brother. Well, Chris Eccleston was about to get on a plane and go back to the UK in a few days' time. And so, in fact, Chris Eccleston and I, though we were using Damon's language, were saying goodbye to each other in real life, knowing we didn't know the next time we would see each other. Probably never. Maybe never. <laughs> Chris, if you're listening, I'd love to see you. Um, and so it was, it's always gratifying when you get to take whatever is really happening and, and put it into your work and you use it. I know that's always the cliche, use it, use your pain, you know? Yeah. But it's true, it really is. Some, sometimes there's a great overlap. And so there was a lot of that going on, but it was all very loving and all very positive. I think we had a really good time shooting it. I think we were all so grateful we were even doing it mm -hmm. that we got that opportunity to wrap it up the way we wanted to. And there was so much goodwill and the crew was working so hard, everybody was working so hard, and you do have to keep your nose to the grind and finish it. And it was very physical, I mean, you know, Justin's getting drowned all the time, I was rolling down the hill and chasing buses, and it just, it was very demanding physically, and so, yeah, you don't really have time to think about it until that last day when you're alone, naked in a pod, mm -hmm. just you and Nora Durst, naked as the day you were born, um, saying goodbye to some three years of your life. Yeah. But it was, it felt very ritualistic, and it felt very right for me to be there with her and um, I was ready. You know, when I left, I was ready. I knew I had to move on. But of course, Nora's part of me, so she's still here. The show has been um, sort of on the cutting edge of nudity, especially with mm -hmm. male nudity. Yes. Um, and you are, obviously you mentioned you were naked in the finale. Mm -hmm. Was that a conversation that you had? Was, was there some serious thought that you had to give to that before you agreed to it? I think it's always important to weigh nudity especially in the day the day and age that we're living in where that's going to be on the internet for the rest of your life mm -hmm. I think it is important to ask yourself as an artist what does this accomplish in a story I think nudity on stage is really interesting it often it often makes the audience perk up and listen in a new way it can be very effective on stage the question of the indelible art form now you know is is um, I think a much trickier thing to weigh as a woman but I know, I always try to make that decision when it, I know that it impacts the story in an important way. And there's no question to me that that was a really important shot that Mimi needed. Mimi and I did talk about it. We talked about, did we want to do full on and what would it mean if we did and would it distract from what we were trying to accomplish? But really she had this very Kubrick-esque set and, and this Kubrick-esque shot she wanted to get and, and it, it made sense to me as an important part of the story. And so it was easy for me to say yes to it. It's always vulnerable to do. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy decision to make. You, you're already always watching yourself age on, on screen anyhow. When you look at us from season one to season three, I remember Tom and Damon saying, we were watching footage from last year and you guys look so different. It's shocking to watch yourself age. And it's only age. been three seasons. I know. And it's like, if my, if my, you know, my career continues, I'm just going to watch myself <laughs> sort of die on screen. But it's, um, it's, it's humbling for sure. Um, but I have to say, people are the crew is always very t respectful in those on those days. Everybody's very professional about it, so I felt very well cared for, you know. Um, and I look how I look, and I, I really believe it's important to take a stand as women and as artists to say, "This is what I look like." 
take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's important to me to continue my career without augmenting myself in any way and just to age gracefully like a lot of, I think, actors and actresses used to do. And, um, and if I stop working, I stop working, but that's not really something I can control. So um, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the shot. I'm proud of this, this show, and I don't regret it. Um, and my parents are fielding those questions with such grace back in Ohio. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, at what point um, in the final season of The Leftovers did Fargo become a possibility? I was actually, I had had a Skype meeting with Noah before I left for Australia. So we had shot in Texas. I was actually doing a, my husband's play in Chicago at the same time. So I was commuting to Austin and Chicago. Mm-hmm doing a play and, and finishing Leftovers. Your husband is Tracy Letts. Yes, my husband's the playwright and actor, <laughs> Tracy Letts. So I was doing his play and we were getting ready, getting packed up. We were going to go to Singapore to see his brother. His brother's a jazz musician in Singapore. And then we were going to go on to Australia. And I was actually in their apartment in Singapore when the deal got made. So I was on my way to finish Leftovers when that became a real, a reality, when I knew it was coming. And as actors, it's always reassuring to know that there is something next and to know what it is. So it was actually, it was great to not be stressed about getting a job while I was finishing um, that job, but let me focus on the leftovers, and that was great. And it's the, it was Fargo. I couldn't believe it. Well, how much of Fargo did, were you familiar with, like, of the series? Had you seen the I'd first seen two it seasons? I'd seen it all. I'd seen it all. I knew, and I remember hearing that somebody was going to adapt the movie into a television series and saying, that is a terrible idea. Yes. That is a presumptuous human being. Who is this person? And come to find out, a, a brilliant, bold storyteller named Noah Hawley, who just happened to stumble onto me and want me to be on the show. And I, I really... I was so flattered because I'm so accustomed to fighting for all the parts that I get, having to audition, and, and I just had a meeting and then gotten offered that that role, and it was such it, that's such new territory for me to have people come to me and say, "Please do this," <laughs> instead of "Please let me do this." And that's know? all leftovers, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's had a real impact for yeah. me. You know, Gone Girl now is kind of in the past a little bit. People often know that I did it. They don't necessarily remember <laughs> what I did or who I was. Yeah. So yes, leftovers have become a really important part of, of moving my career, on, you know, getting me to the next thing. It's yeah. been great. And what was, so you were up in Calgary mm-hmm. for how long? Oh, January Fargo? until January, February, March, April, May. Is that right? Yeah, about five months. Biggest difference between leftovers and Fargo shooting experience? biggest difference getting the scripts in advance I had I think five or six scripts before I started Wow! so knowing the scope of the story when you're in it is different you you sort of understand what the demands are what your part is in the whole better and so what notes you know you might play Um, and the writing the writing is so good you can almost just show up and plus I would say the other thing is that um, the preparation for Fargo is so external Nora is such a that's such an internal struggle she's having with with her grief and everything and in Fargo you put on these boots you put on this starchy uniform you put on this 15 pound police belt this puffy coat this flappy ear hat and then you put on that dialect and you're already in the world mm-hmm. and then Noah gives you this really um, thoughtful provocative well written dialogue and you kind of just have to show up and say it and if you don't if you, if you don't fumble you're at least going to be three quarters of the way to telling the story. And anything else you bring to the party is, you know, icing. And the accent. Yes. Your accent was excellent. Thank you. Talk Thank to me you. about the preparation for that. Well, it's funny. I, I hate to say this, but it's not, it wasn't very difficult for mm-hmm. me because I went to school in Wisconsin. Yeah. And the dialect is really almost the same. And I know a lot of Minnesotans. And so, and some of those sounds are part of my native dialect in Ohio the hard R's and some of the, the ass sound. So it wasn't of that big of a stretch for me. We had we had two dialect coaches working with us. We had somebody that helped prepare us who actually worked on the original film. 
um, Liz Himmelstein, and then we had people on set who could help us make adjustments if we were slipping in and out or something. But um, it wasn't that hard for me to do. Because mm-hmm. I was so, I mean, I used to be in stores in Wisconsin. I've, I've told this story before too, but I was in a shoe store and a woman yells, oh, for cute. And you just can't believe it's a real thing, but it is, it's totally real. And, and so I think of it as a great tribute to that part of the country. I love that part of the country. Was it, uh, did you bond with the cast because you're all stuck up in Calgary together? Yes, it is like summer camp. In some ways, Leftovers was more disparate. A lot of the, my castmates had kids, and so they were coming and going a lot. Yeah. Or, you know, I often only had scenes with Justin, mm-hmm. or I'd have scenes with Chris. I rarely worked with the women. The nice thing about playing the sheriff on Fargo is that inevitably your story intersects with everybody. So I got to work with everyone. And yeah, the extremity of the temperature and the distance of travel made it um, important for us to stay there. And so I loved, I loved spending time with those people. I made a lot of friends up there. Um, you know, the, the, boy, the police station, Olivia Sandoval, Mark Forward, Shea Wiggum, we ended up having a lot of days together, so I spent a lot of time with them. But I also had the chance to get to know Mary and spend, you know, Ewan and both of his characters. I got to see him do both of those. And David Thewlis, who I've always tremendously respected, and he's doing amazing work on our show. And Stuhlbarg, who I've always seen in everything, because Michael Stuhlbarg's in everything. Yeah. But finally working with him, and I didn't really have much with him, but I got to watch his work. And it was just, it was a great group. And yes, it is very galvanizing to be freezing in a small town in Canada and we all you know we kept going to the same restaurants together and Mm -hmm. it was great my favorite relationship on Fargo season three is the one between you and Olivia Sandoval isn't it great isn't that the best introduction of character her scene in that bathroom yes isn't it great it's wonderful and the hug in the penultimate episode Mm. episode nine I love those two characters so much um, she's quite a discovery, quite isn't a she? Yeah. And it's so funny because, of course, Olivia has been, you know, pounding the pavement in LA for years, and this was such the—it was the perfect marriage uh. of character and person. And she is a person of such tremendous gratitude. Olivia never took the opportunity for granted. She enjoyed every day she was there. So aware of the ephemeral nature of this business and how things can come and go. And I hope she's here to stay because I think she's really extraordinarily talented. But the other lovely thing is that she's a very physically generous person too. She's a big personality and she, she's very funny and she's very physically funny. She does this funny little dance that she taught me that we did on set together. But she's, um, she's like that. Like she will, she will break your physical boundary. And I'm from the Midwest and I actually, <laughs> like my family didn't hug growing up. I think my, like I got hugged the first time when I was like 20 or something. So we actually really have that relationship in a way where she's much more like bolder and invades my space a little bit and I'm sort of like ah I don't know what to do so it was very it was fun to have that actually play out on screen for us yeah. <laughs> we were both kind of fundamentally a little bit who those people are but I love her and we, we've become great friends and I'm so thrilled for her success in the show because she's just she was such a beautiful color to have it makes me wish that we had more of that though I, I mean you, it's always good to leave you wanting more I get that but um, I really, I mean, that to me, that's almost a show. Yeah, you know, I know. Put them we in we an apartment all in New York together. about the spinoff and the <laughs> Rizzoli and Isles, you know, the, the Starsky and Hutch and yes. all that, or Turner and Hooch is what I'm fond of calling us, actually. But yes, I really, I, I, it always happens inevitably in these ensemble shows that you just, you don't get enough of everybody, right? You don't get the, the single episode. Like, for example, um, I like to think of Kevin Carroll and, in the leftovers mm. he was so fine in our show and you never really got to hook into his story this year and, and I would have loved to see an episode of Kevin Carroll yeah. I'd love to see an episode of Olivia Sandoval and so I guess we just have to hope for their next thing yeah. and enjoy that um, so Fargo is an anthology but um, 
you know, we've seen characters pop in and out mm. in future seasons. Now, season four hasn't been ordered. It, it may or may not happen. Do you think there's a possibility that we'll see you again in this universe? Oh, that's interesting. I suspect because I'm playing one of the tropes, the female sheriff, that that would be very unlikely to see me come back. It makes more sense to have a more peripheral henchman or, um, not, I don't want to say bad guy, but because my, my character is sort of part of that, very much a part of the vocabulary of that world. So I think it would be strange to see me come back. But who knows? I mean, you never know with Noah. Mm -hmm. You just never know what he's going to get up to. He's so, he has such an unusual mind in the best way. Mm -hmm. And I'd certainly do anything he asked me to. I would do whatever he asked me to in a heartbeat, without hesitation, without knowing what it was. I would say yes. So, Leftovers, Fargo, two of TV's biggest prestige <laughs> dramas, and now, where do you go from here? And, and you know, when you look at the TV landscape, I mean, there are, there's so much television, mm -hmm. there's so much great television. Do you see a show and you're like, I'd like to be on that? It's so interesting because when you've, when you've been the lead on a show, which essentially I have been now, it's, it's unusual then to step into something that already exists. The thing everyone expects you to do is to then, what is the thing that's my vehicle, right? right? What's my vehicle is the next thing. I'm actually, uh, I've actually made the choice right now to step away from television for a little while mm -hmm. because there is so much. And in some ways the pressure is, oh, I want to say yes to this, but what's coming to me? Because there's so much opportunity for interesting roles. Um, I suspect I will end up on television sooner rather than later just because that's where that's where it's interesting to be a woman right now. Film has not caught up to television. The scripts I read in film are, are far inferior to the things that I'm asked to do on TV, so that's probably going to happen. Right now, I'm working on Steven Spielberg's new movie, The Papers. Oh. Oh. I'm shooting that. Um, my husband is in that movie, along with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and uh, David Cross and all these people. You'll recognize everybody in it. So I'm shooting that film, and that's a dream to work with somebody like Spielberg. Yeah. There's something else I'm shooting I can't talk about yet, but will get announced soon. And then, of course, I'm, I'm looking for the opportunity to get back on stage. I've been trying to do that every year or two, and I'm due. Yeah. I'm just due to be back. Um, and, and touch back in with that part of myself and my own sort of artistic rubric. <laughs> yeah. So that's the plan. But um, So a break from TV a little bit. I think so, just yeah. because, again, one of the things it, that happens is I'm being asked to commit to five to eight years of something, mm -hmm. and I'm just not ready to do that. I'm at such an interesting point in my career. I'm not ready to commit myself to something at age 36 that's going to go on for five or eight years. I'm yeah. just not ready. Yeah. And there's too much interesting stuff. And also the limited series is a really interesting model that's taken off. And I'm, I'm curious about what that's going to yield in the next few years. And I think I'm going to wait. I, I, one of the great privileges of being in the position I'm in is that I get to be picky. And it's such a rare privilege to say no <laughs> and be picky about material that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in it for a while and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, it's an unusual position, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm just going to gonna be patient. Dream co-star or two? Oh, gosh. Oh, no. I've always wanted to work with Rebecca Hall. I just admire her so much. Except she'd wipe the floor with me, so maybe I shouldn't hope. Um, Sarah Paulson's in this movie with me, oh. which is exciting. I don't really get to interact with her, so I'm looking for a, a time when Sarah and I get to do something together. Um, Frances McDormand, I, I just find utterly... I think she's magnificent, and I, I would just lose my voice around her, I'm sure. Um, my goodness, I, I, oh, I'd love to be in a Bong Joon-ho movie. I think he's really amazing. Who? He's a, he's a wonderful, he did um, 
Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. he's an extraordinarily creative film director. I love him. I love to work with Steven Spielberg. Oh, wait, I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really just kind of living the dream right yeah. now. Like they say, it's such a cliche, but it's the truth. I really am. I've really gotten to a, a magnificent place in my career, and I'm just trying to enjoy it and appreciate it and know that it won't last forever. <laughs> thank you so much for coming by. Uh, thank you for having us. me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.